Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means time for the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. As always, I am Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Well, I was able to not talk about Ohio State for a couple of days. But I knew it would be coming back around. Honestly, I wasn't able to speak about Urban Meyer's statement on Friday. And I'll do that here momentarily as well. Also coming up, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Ryan Glassbeagel, who writes for the big lead. He also put out a piece this week about uh, Aziz Ansari for Vulture. But generally, he covers sports media. Is going to join me in the next segment. And for a couple of segments, we are going to talk about the state of sports media. What's happening at ESPN with Michelle Beadle leaving Get Up. With all the shows in that New York studio tanking with Jamel Hill leaving the network, with Jason Witten joining Monday Night Football, with Fox getting Thursday Night Football. There are a ton of things going on in and around sports media right now. Ryan's on the pulse of that, so we're going to spend some extended time talking to him here in a little bit. And you're definitely going to dig that. Our telephone number, by the way, is 615-737-1045. So why, on a day where Teddy Bridgewater gets on a bus that's going to take the Jets to their final preseason game against the Eagles, and then he gets off that bus after saying goodbye to his teammates because he's been traded to the New Orleans Saints, which means Sam Bradford's going to start week one, which means the Jets might now have the trade capital and draft picks alone to try and lure Khalil Mack away from the Oakland Raiders, something that's been speculated for weeks, but now again there are more assets out there with which the Jets have to play with in this situation. So that's something I could certainly talk about. I could tell you what I've said since the beginning, which is I think Sam Darnold's going to be a perennial pro bowler in this league. I think he's a superstar. I thought he was the best player in the draft along with Saquon Barkley. I'd have taken him at one. No disrespect to Baker Mayfield other than the disrespect that I don't think he should have been the first pick of the draft. But Zach Smith decided he wanted to go on Twitter today to defend himself. And in the process of trying to defend himself, Zach Smith made himself look even worse than he has at any point. And that's hard to do, considering some of the things that have been levied against Zach Smith, some of the things that also have come out that have been proven about Zach Smith over the last four to six weeks in particular. Here's a quick rule of thumb. Dirtbag is going to dirtbag, folks. He goes on Twitter and he unleashes. He's out here saying he's threatening to sue Brett McMurphy. That 
the truth is going to come out that Courtney is not a victim, that he never, ever beat her. And he doesn't take any ownership, really, for anything that came out in the investigative report. He calls the investigation a sham, the punishment a shame. Urban Meyer was forced to make a statement about it. But the investigative report that came out last week identified, this is from the report, identified a pattern of troubling behavior by Zach Smith, promiscuous and embarrassing sexual behavior, drug abuse, truancy, which is a word that you don't generally hear unless you're skipping school in 11th grade, dishonesty, financial irresponsibility, a possible NCAA violation, and a lengthy police investigation into allegations of criminal domestic violence and cyber crimes. Zach claims almost all of it's a lie. He says he made mistakes. He definitely made mistakes. There's no question about that. He goes on Twitter and he makes another mistake. He goes after Brenda Tracy, who is a survivor of sexual assault. And by survivor of sexual assault, I'm not going to mince words here because I want you to understand that Zach Smith decided today was the day while he was defending himself to go after the credibility of a gang rape survivor. That is who we're dealing with here. Who else are we dealing with here? We're dealing with somebody that tweets out photos of his children to try and draw sympathy and to try and make anyone feel guilty that would cast aspersions on his past in any regard. Basically saying, you're hurting these innocent kids. Courtney hurt them first, now you're all hurting them. The media is hurting them. How dare you say these things? They go to school and they have to hear about these things. And you know what? That is a fair point. The children that are caught up in these things that they have nothing to do with, that is heartbreaking. And it happens a lot. And I I don't think that we always do stop and think about when these scandals break, what those kids have to endure when they go to school. We were all in school once. It can be a cruel place. I imagine it still is. There are bullies. And there are people that talk incessantly at every age and engage in gossip at every age to try and prop themselves up or to feel better about themselves. And I heard a couple of weeks ago, you know, the sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a gigantic lie because words do hurt and they stick around and they rattle around in your brain and they can affect you for a long time. Words on social media, Zach, can also hurt you, come back to haunt you and never disappear. I have said this before. I will say it many times throughout the course of this program. Social media, ladies and gentlemen, is not mandatory. I would say it is a much better decision to stay hungry and not to taste your own foot when it isn't required. Just go ahead and skip that meal. Accept it. Maybe you'll get a snack later. Don't put your foot in your mouth. Delete the app from your phone. Put the phone in a drawer. Don't let that destroy you. One person recently in sports media said that social media is a place where you're basically holding your own hand grenade. 
especially if you're famous. And I was thinking about that analogy, and I thought too many of the people that are on social media, and you always have to be cognizant of this, whether or not you're famous or whether or not you're someone that has two followers. Too many people don't realize when they're holding that grenade, it's almost like they're ignorant of what happens when you pull the pin. It's like you pull the pin on the grenade, but you forget to throw it because you don't realize the danger in that 280 characters. But that danger can take you down in a flash and end your career. You have to be extremely careful with the words that you choose because not only do they hurt, they resound and they fire like a gunshot across the country and across the world, echoing and reverberating everywhere. And so Zach Smith goes on a Twitter tirade today going after Brett McMurphy, going after his ex-wife, going after Ohio State and the president, even going after Urban Meyer and his mother, who is the daughter of Earl Bruce, came out and did the same thing. Lynn Bruce says this. I'm just wondering where Meyer's mentor, meaning her, you know, Earl Bruce, was in his thinking, her father. The Earl Bruce I know would be disappointed at best. My father was fiercely loyal to a fault, I will agree. But he would never compromise his integrity by apologizing to someone who has lied and brought so much damage to her own children and so many others. He would never bow down to anyone if it meant being dishonest. And then later in this same post on Facebook, she says Urban Meyer would have stood up for Zach if he were honest, if he had integrity, if he were truly a Christian. You have got to be kidding me. All of what Zach said makes me believe him less. All he revealed today in the process of trying to defend himself, methinks thou dost protest too much. He reveals he's unhinged. He reveals he's volatile. He reveals to me he may well be dangerous. He reveals he's vindictive. He reveals he's vengeful without any semblance of self-actualization whatsoever. And with every word he writes or speaks, I believe him less. And it just continues to get worse. And Urban Meyer and Ohio State have to be wondering how they can get this to end. The Tom Herman thing comes out because Zach Smith goes ahead and, and comes out and says, yeah, it was Tom Herman that was with me at the strip club when we were on that high school recruiting visit. There were other high school coaches there. He had said in those text messages that came out in the initial McMurphy report that if he went down, he was taking everybody with him. And here we go. He is trying to take everybody down with him. I don't believe anything that he is saying. If the truth comes out, I don't know when and how. A lot of people say the truth comes out because it's the easiest thing to say when you're trying to defend yourself. I've made mistakes in my life, but being a domestic abuser is not one of them. Says he can't wait to answer every question in court and under oath. 
this man is a terminal pathological liar. We know this because we've seen the text message exchanges between him and his wife. And we've seen the exchanges between Shelly Meyer and Courtney Smith. This is not a woman who made up everything. The bruises on the photos that came out did not come out because Shelly went and attacked herself to try and end Zach's career. This is not a giant conspiracy against Zach Smith. The biggest problem with this whole story is that Zach Smith is somehow important in it. He was so important to Urban Meyer because of the relationship to Earl Bruce that Urban Meyer was willing to look the other way no matter what was coming out about him through the years. And there were, again, I read that litany of descriptions of things that we know Zach Smith was involved in. A lot of it not a crime, but also the kind of thing that would get you fired from most college football programs. Because it doesn't have to be illegal to be immoral in a way that your character can't be around young men or shouldn't be around young, impressionable young men. But all Zach Smith proved today was he was unhinged and we better keep an eye on him. I have no idea what's going to come from this story next. Urban Meyer talked to his team the day after the suspension came down. People tried to ask them questions, and they said all he wanted to talk about was 1-0. I'll bet that's the case. Because through all of this, all Urban Meyer believes is he didn't really do anything wrong. He just wants to get back to coaching football and winning games. Because that's what this whole thing has been about from the very beginning for Urban Meyer at Ohio State. And it's what it was always about at Florida. I don't know that that's what it was always about at, at Utah. But at some point it changed him. But this Twitter tirade, all it's done is made it worse for Zach Smith who attacks a domestic assault survivor, a sexual assault survivor today, who is basically saying, please don't retweet these photos of this man's children that he's using as a prop to try and draw sympathy and guilt a bunch of people that have done nothing wrong for trying to cover this story. Using your children as a prop to draw sympathy to try and cast aspersions or point fingers at those that would question an admitted salacious past is as despicable as it gets. And I hope someday he realizes it. And I hope someday he apologizes for it. But it's disgusting, even if he were 100% accurate about everything he's saying. And folks, we know he isn't. Up next, Ryan Glassbeagle. Don't miss it. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. A little mute math for you. Maybe they're listening if they're in town. Often they are. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Glad to have you with us as always. 
Talked a lot of Zach Smith in that first segment, so I'm glad to be able to walk away from that topic for a little bit. I bring on a guy that you're going to want to start paying attention to if you're not already. He writes for the big lead. He also has a piece out on Aziz Ansari at Vulture. He is Ryan Glassbeagle. I actually met him when he was in the Fox Sports studios here in Nashville about a year ago or so. Ryan, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on. How's it going with you? I'm doing pretty good. So there is so much going on in sports media, and we'll talk a little wrestling if you want to do that. We'll talk a little Aziz as well over the next couple of segments. But I looked up the word boondoggle during the <laughs> break so I could get a real just kind of clinical definition. As a noun, work or activity that is wasteful or pointless but gives the appearance of having value or as a verb, waste money or time on unnecessary or questionable projects. And the reason I mentioned boondoggle is because I'm thinking about that glitzy studio ESPN has in New York and the projects and lack of, I guess, rating success that those properties seem to have had. And I know you've had quite a bit to say about this over the past couple of months as well. How big a failure has this entire situation become? Yeah, I don't think you can look at the New York studio as anything other than a big failure. They did it for four purposes. One was get up, one with with Greenberg, Beatle, and Jalen Rose. One was high noon with Omani Jones and Pablo Torre. One was first take, and one was NBA countdown. So get up. They have already shortened by an hour, and I assume a lot of your audience probably knows already that they're going to be putting – uh, morning sports center on from 6 to 7 a.m. Central Time during an hour where Get Up had been. And Michelle Beadle is returning to Los Angeles along with NBA Countdown. Um, High Noon has, I don't think it's been given the full chance that it needs yet, but they decided to make that show a half hour and put it in a block of two hours with um, other shows that are produced by Eric Ridehome, who created Pardon the Interruption, um, Highly Questionable, and also Overseas Around the Horn. First Take is moving there on Monday, but basically where what they thought was going to be um, six hours a day of programming there, now that's chopped down to four and a half, and they probably allocated a lot of that in that studio and the budget to the NBA bumper programming because they, they have a giant like multi-billion dollar contract with the NBA and so they probably thought that they could put a lot of the budget for the studio into that but now that show isn't going to be there so on one hand they are closer to a lot of the sponsors that they can try to sell on that studio, but on the other, they're using a lot less than they forecasted. And as you mentioned, GetUp's ratings have been a very profound disappointment for them. Uh, and I kind of saw this coming from the beginning because Mike Greenberg is nothing if not milk toast and vanilla. It's not that he has no talent. It's that nobody's going to go out of their way to watch him. And then when you look at Beetle has become more and more sanctimonious over the years. I liked her back in the day when she was on Sports Nation with Cowherd, and she seemed to be a really, you know, new, fresh voice. But it just it, it doesn't feel that way to me anymore. And I've always found Jalen Rose to be incredibly overrated. I felt like from the very beginning that trio didn't make sense. But maybe in a larger context, 
does it make sense to go with these morning shows over the sports centers that are easier to produce that just give the highlights? I mean, if you just, I would generally just rather watch the Scott Van Pelt show in repeat all morning long than try to tune in to get up unless they have some analyst on, which I know they're about to start using some rotating analysts and some very good ones, some guys that I like a whole lot. And maybe that's going to help out. But I think we're starting to see maybe that the sports center model isn't quite dead when you compare it to some of these efforts. Well, it was losing ground, but I think that even in its losing ground, there was nothing that they were going to replace it with that people could, would tune into instead. Unless they, if you look at all of ESPN's lineup, unless they put first take in there, which would create another hole, I don't think that there's anything that they could do instead of Sports Center at that time that more people would prefer. It's really kind of with, with FS1 having now. I, I know that they're still way behind ESPN, but when they nab Colin and Skip away from ESPN, it created a lot of holes, and there just aren't enough really captivating talents who can debate and have strong opinions on sports to fill the airwaves on two different networks all day, and so. Part of it is that the amount of programming was oversaturated, and part of it is you can count, depending on your personal preferences, on one or two hands the people who are talented enough to draw you to a television by themselves. So in the absence of having the personalities, to your point, the ones that they put in probably don't fit that bill, then I think that doing standard sports center would have been preferable to what they tried. Now, they're still calling it Get Up, but this is going to be a show now where Greeny is going to be a point guard and other people are going to be chiming in with thoughts. And I think they're going to do a lot more kind of sports-centery, straight-up news and highlights than the show has had before. But we'll have to see what the next iteration looks like. I also think that it probably wasn't a great look for Beetle when Laura Rutledge came in and did a really good job and Mina Kimes came on and she was really entertaining and seemed to really want to be there. It just never felt like Beetle fit, never felt like she wanted to be there. It just was a bad mix. Another thing that has been certainly talked about over the last year, year and a half, is Jamel Hill. She gets moved off of the six, which turned out to be a disastrous move for the network to uh, make the six a thing in the very beginning. She says it's amicable. She's got other things going on. She's writing for the undefeated. She's on Highly Questionable. She's doing Levitard shows. She's doing all these various things, and now she's leaving the network completely. And I think I saw that you said on a Sports Media Watch podcast that it feels like ESPN right now is just removing the John Skipper statues one at a time. Just elaborate on that a bit. Yeah, I mean, well, the get um cutting get up and taking Beetle off of it. And as you said, Laura Rutledge and Mina Kimes did a great job on there. So did Maria Taylor. Yes. With Beetle and, and Greenberg together, it felt like having two shooting point guards in the same backcourt. The Milwaukee Bucks tried that with Gary Payton and Sam Cassell and it didn't work. But with with Jamel, yeah, the I I think that even if Skipper was still there, she might They'll be leaving at this point, given that the um, scrutiny on having the personalities discuss politics anywhere, whether it's on their airwaves or even on their own personal social media, the sea changes has just shifted so much in the last 
two years and she doesn't feel comfortable. Like, okay, so for you and I, I think we grew up and if we could get like the 6 p.m. sports center anchor job, if you told us that when we were 12 or whatever, we would have been like, okay, put that piece of paper in front of me and sign me up. I'll do whatever it takes to have that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that her lifelong goal is the same thing. And to her, she just, she wants to be able to be free to say whatever she wants more than she wants to have the platform that ESPN has. And I think that ESPN realized that as long as she's under their umbrella, even if it is on the outer reaches, she's going to say things that cause them to have questions that they don't want to answer. And so they decided mutually for her to leave and pursue having a production company. And it wouldn't be totally surprising if we see in the next few months, oh, Jamel Hill has a contributor contract for MSNBC or CNN. Do you think that's you think that's sort of where she's headed is more in the new I know she's definitely headed more in the political and activist realm but do you think that she's more suited to potentially end up on an MSNBC or a CNN do you think that's kind of where her career seems to be headed Well I don't see another sports network for her to go to right now I mean it's really in terms of people who have sports talent who, who share opinions it's ESPN and it's FS1 I mean, NBC has Florio and Dan Patrick on their sports network and it's simulcast of radio shows. But, you know, it's, it's funny because, the re- you know, the reason that Jamel Hill and Michael Smith were given SC6 by John Skipper in the first place is that Jeannie Horowitz wanted to hire them to do FS1's morning show that eventually became First Things mm. First with Nick Wright and Chris Carter. He was a person who launched his and hers, and he wanted them to basically do his and hers on FS1, leading into Undisputed, leading into Colin Cowherd. And after Skipper had lost um, Skip and Colin, he just gave them that contract before Jamie could even get in a room with them and try to convince them. So part of the reason that they're in the situation that they are is that they were playing defense there. Okay. No, that, no, that makes good sense. We got to take a break. We'll come back on the other side and talk more with Ryan Glassbeagle. I want to ask him about Monday night football. What he thinks of the team that they've put together, the success maybe of streaming and ESPN plus and things like that. And I have a really interesting question and a concern about the athletic. I don't think you'll want to miss that. It's all coming up next. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Little Big Egos off of Chronic 2001. Still one of my favorite hip-hop beats of all time. Bringing us back here tonight. Ball Call is coming up next. Then Global Golf Radio and the Neutral Zone. So stick with us tonight. We bring back on Ryan Glassbeagle of the Big Lee to continue our uh, conversation here about sports media. Ryan, I don't know how closely you're paying attention to this, and I don't know whether or not there's a simple answer to the question either, but I've subscribed to The Athletic pretty much from the beginning, and there are a whole lot of really talented writers that have been picked up that you know ESPN had to drop in order to buy that studio, and there are a lot of very talented people, and I've felt that my money has been well spent there and they've just opened up a Nashville vertical and hired some friends of mine to write there. But you got venture capitalists that are propping this thing up as far as I know. And from every indication that I have either been told or read, 
they're not making any money and they continue to just hire and hire and hire and hire and they're hiring big names. Am I wrong to think that this thing is kind of a bubble? Like how exactly does the athletic survive? Like I continue to look at it and wonder what the long-term future is because I don't know where the profit's coming from. It could survive conceivably if they are acquired by a bigger media entity that wants to have the, all of their subscription data. There was a story by Kevin Draper in the New York Times last week that quoted both exu- an exuberant an investor and a skeptical industry veteran. And you can, I, I, I recommend everybody who's listening to go and search New York Times, The Athletic, and read the two pieces that Draper's written about them. Uh, look, here's the thing. I think I share a lot of people who work in this industry share your concern because if the, the athletic does not make it and all of a sudden, let's say there's an economic downturn, things have been very good in the stock market for the last, I'd say, 10 years or so. And if that has a 20 or 30% correction at some point, then people are going to be less willing to take um, bets on the hope that something might become a unicorn, and that could be a situation where they are in trouble. But I think that they plan on raising money and expanding into not just new markets, but possibly even new verticals, trying to um, cover local news in a way that some of these newspapers that have been bought up by conglomerates or um, kind of vulture hedge funds and aren't nearly as thick or substantive as they used to be, try to capture that market. I, that, that's what I think that their goal is. Now, I hope it works because if it doesn't work and all of this does go belly up and all of the 300 very successful sports writers that they hired all hit the market at one time in a market where there isn't a ton of other jobs, that would be a very big catastrophe that would take, I think, years for people who do what you and I do, me more specifically, to recover from. Yeah, that, that worries me because there's so many talented people and I don't want to see them out of work. I just I, I just don't know how it works. But I'll, yeah, I, I'll make sure to retweet those articles from the New York Times as well. I want to ask you, with football season on deck, with the NFL starting next week, Monday Night Football, Jason Witten, we're starting to see, look, this guy went straight off the field into one of the biggest jobs that you could possibly have. He didn't work for some Fox affiliate on the West Coast or something like that, learning his craft. He's thrown right into the fire, and he's thrown in with Tessitore, Joe Tessitore, who's a veteran, but he's always sounded like college football to me, and he still sounds like college football to me because because I've grown so used to hearing him do it. Now, I think Booger McFarland is a total star. I thought that would just listen to him on the SEC network over the past few years. But how do you look at the makeup of this Monday night football crew? Do you, do you like the way this is set up? If it were me and they went with these three people, then I think I would have put Booger McFarland in the booth instead of on that roaming chair that he's going to be right. watching from at field level, because doing that would put less pressure on Jason Witten to have a take every play. And I think that there's been some times where he's missed cues in the preseason. It's not a big deal now, but if you get a big game on a Monday night and all of a sudden there's 10 seconds of dead air because he doesn't respond to Tessator queuing him up, 
ESPN's going to be made fun of a lot. Now, look, they, they, they saw Tony Romo have a lot of success going straight from the field to the booth in, um, last year with CBS. Look, the Dallas Cowboys, every time they play, they get far and away the best ratings of anybody in the league. And that's why they're on in prime time so much. That they're not the like Witten and Romo aren't the only Cowboys announcers. Uh, Troy Aikman and Moose Johnston right. have pretty prominent roles on Fox. So the ESPN look is anybody not to not watch the game or even watch the game because of Jason Witten? Probably not. But they're going their their choice is going to be scrutinized on more than one occasion. I predict. A larger prediction, not talking about the anthem or anything like that, but what's your expectation for viewership this year across the NFL? We know it was down last year after being down in 2016. There have been, everybody has their own reason for it, some with political agendas, some not. But how do you see it stacking up this year, adding in Thursday night football on Fox? There's football so often on television did it peak a few years ago and there's no way to get that back? Or do you see a resurgence? Or are we going to continue to see a drop-off? How do you see it playing out? Yeah, in addition to the politics, I think they're also missing Peyton Manning, who retired after the 2015 season and was immensely popular and was not as big of a draw as the Cowboys. But after the Cowboys, I think Peyton Manning, regardless of whether he was playing on the Colts or the Broncos, was just the second biggest giant national draw. What they need is for some of these young quarterbacks to be good right away. Uh, Baker Mayfield is becoming a star on hard knocks. If he's good and like, I don't know that he's going to be starting right away or even soon, but if like he can even get the Browns to seven and nine, then that's going to be a big story. Sam Darnold is going to be starting right away in New York, which is the biggest market, and he's looked promising so far. The Jets just traded his backup away today, so it's his team. And if he's good, that's going to make waves. I don't think that Josh Allen is going to be good right away, but maybe he'll prove me wrong. And then Josh Rosen on the Cardinals. If, if we can have three of those four be any good, then I think the NFL is going to be in better shape. But I was wrong last year that I thought the re- the ratings would rebound a little and they went down again. They they went down about 20% between 2015 and 2017, Jason. So I don't know whether it's going to plateau, go up, or continue to go down. I, I just can't forecast it. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll all find out here in the next several months how it's going to play out. We've got about a minute left, uh, and I'm going to have to get you on Squared Circle Radio, our wrestling show, and we'll we'll talk a little bit of WWE. But I know that you wrote for Vulture about Aziz Ansari, where you saw him in person, and just like how his comedy has changed due to the Me Too movement. And I found that, one, a fascinating angle, and two, a fascinating article just uh, maybe give the audience a little bit of, of what you notice because comedy has to change now because some of the things that used to be okay now feel like taboo for a lot of comedians. And Aziz was a guy that did push the envelope early and then started doing more family-oriented comedy. But how has he shifted due to Me Too? I would actually say that he hasn't shifted. Now, he okay. got accused by a woman anonymously of making her feel un- uh, pressured and 
uncomfortable, and he did not address that in his act, but I thought thematically addressing relationships, addressing race, ad- addressing ethnicity, it would have been pretty similar to before. To before, and if you went to the show not knowing that he had been accused um, in this movement, however tangentially and however low on the scale of bad date to Harvey Weinstein, you wouldn't have known it by going to see him. Okay, well, I'll make sure to tweet out that article. That's that's really interesting that he didn't really lean into it in any respect. He just kind of kept doing what he was doing. Might be the smartest play, honestly. Don't change it up. Just be more cognizant of everything that's going on. Ryan, I really appreciate you uh, joining us. Hopefully, we'll get you on again soon. I had a lot more questions, but time passes really quickly in a one-hour show. Thanks for making time. Sounds good. Congratulations on the spot, Jason. Best of luck. Appreciate it. That is Ryan Glassbeagle. That dude is getting more and more just airtime everywhere. You can see him at the Big League. You can read him there. You can read him at Vulture as well. I'll make sure to tweet out that Aziz Ansari piece as well as the New York Times piece on The Athletic. That you reference. We got one more segment. You want to talk about Zach Smith? Six six one five seven three seven one zero four five. I got more. We'll be right back. Big six one zero four five. The zone. Do you? See- Final segment of the Big Six. Our thanks to Ryan Glassbeagle. You can follow him on Twitter at Sports Report R A P P O R T. On Twitter, writes for the big lead, doing really good work there. We'll have a stat for you to uh, end today's show. We talked about ESPN there in that conversation. We talked about The Athletic. I did tweet out one of the articles from the New York Times that he referenced. So if you follow me on Twitter at jmartzone, I'm Jason Martin, by the way. You can uh, read that and peruse it and uh, see kind of at least one side of how they see their future. They kind of are are hoping to be the Netflix as local newspapers and coverage continue to decline, which I think is fascinating. I just look at a whole lot of hires and not actually turning any kind of profit right now. And I just wonder how it's going to survive. I don't feel the same way about it that I felt about movie pass necessarily, which somehow is still a thing. We could just do why is it still a thing right now again. And I could talk to you about movie pass, which my movie pass annual subscription now entitles me to see three movies, I think, a month. And the list of movies is not all movies like it used to be. It's now somewhere between three and six that are available at any given time that I can see. And I've gone on a couple of times just to see what's out there. And really, nothing that I could go see for free is something that I need to go see. Like, I can't even go back and see Mission Impossible for free on movie pass right now. I just have to go pay for it again because it's never actually been available through the service. I just continue to wonder, you know, we are continuing to put band-aids on a broken reservoir dam. Just end this thing. Just pull the plug. Give it up. Nice try. Good try. Good effort. But it's over. Also, nice try. Nice effort. Please go away. Delete your account. Zach Smith. Let off the show talking about that if you missed the pod, if you missed uh, any part of the first segment of this show. Good reason to download our podcast. You can also listen to the show anytime you want at 1045thezone.com, where we stream all of our content all day long. 1045thezone.com slash big six will give you the archive of every one of my shows. If you want to go back and get them individually, you can subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And you can search The Big Six with Jason Martin and get my entire archive and get subscribed, and we'll send it to you every night when we update it. Zone podcast available for all the shows there as well. So you can get your zone fix however you like to get your zone fix, and we appreciate that. Also, read my stuff at the Big Six blog. That's 1045zone.com slash Big Six blog. Just want to get all my stuff in. Right there, I'll have a review of the center tonight. It's already written. The episode will be over around 9, 10 p.m. Central tonight, and it's scheduled to hit at 10 p.m. Central. And it's great, and if you haven't been watching the center, you should. I said last uh, last show that I was going to give you a list of things that you needed to see. A few people missed that, tweeted me at jmartzone, asked me what that list was, and I basically said Succession is the best new show of 2018. Succession, which is kind of a mixed hybrid of drama and black comedy. Adam McKay, Will Ferrell, both executive producers. Adam McKay, of course, who directed The Big Short based on the great Michael Lewis novel. Big Short, maybe one of my favorite films of this decade. And if you like The Big Short, kind of the way it was shot, the way it was done, you're going to like Succession. Very, very good show. And I said watch Barry, which was Bill Hader's show that came out earlier this year. That is another one that was on that list. The Center, of course, was on that list. Better Call Saul, which is just spectacular. And in its fourth season, was on that list. I had said when I was on 3HL a couple of weeks back that one thing that I was going to recommend to people that they probably had never even heard of is on Netflix, and it's called American Vandal. Well, the second season of American Vandal hits on September the 14th. I'm hopefully going to be screening that one in the coming days. But the first season, it's basically a mockumentary built off the serial slash making a murderer slash true crime podcast craze. It looks like it's going to be straight comedy at first, but then it turns into something much deeper and you care about the characters. And it's something that I tell you, you should go out of your way and check out. Absolutely should check out. One thing you should check out on Saturday is me and Joey Kent. I've been named, I don't know if you saw this, but I've been named the new host of the Tennessee Tailgate Show. I'll be taking over for Jonathan Hutton. Really blessed to have that opportunity as part of Vols pregame all season long with Joey. I've, I've filled in on that show in the past, but that's going to be really, really fun. And it begins this Saturday as we lead into the West Virginia game. On the way out the door as we lead out, let's make you smarter. Las Vegas Superbook college football playoff playoff title odds. I'm off tomorrow because of Titans football. College football's back. It's the best sport in the world. Alabama 7-4, Clemson 4-1, Georgia, Ohio State 6-1, Michigan somehow 10-1. I don't think that'll work out. Auburn, Washington 15-1, Oklahoma, Wisconsin 20-1, and then it goes on down from there. It's going to be great. College football is back. Titans football tomorrow bumps us. We'll be back on Friday. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. And good night. Ball calls next.